One parent, two kids, 419 national park sites. This is Expedition National Parks. Dispatches and stories from one family's journey to discover the cultural, historical, and natural treasures in the United States. Blow your mind. You haven't seen this. The walls are like 10 feet thick and 10 feet high. They were made by hand with no cars, no trucks. They didn't even have animals to carry them. They carried them by hand and made these walls stone by stone by stone. While we are sheltering in place in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, we can reflect on our past trips, plan for future ones, and learn from all the virtual programs that the park sites are putting out. The first site we visited on the Big Island of Hawaii was Pu'ahono National Historical Park. Located on the west coast of the island, literally just steps away from the famous snorkeling site, Two-Step. Learning what Pu'ahonau means in English helps one understand the significance and history of the place. Pu'ahonau means place of refuge. As a place of refuge, those who broke the kapu, the ancient Hawaiian sacred laws, would be protected here. And in times of battle, defeated warriors and civilians would also seek protection here, as anyone seeking shelter here could not be harmed. The place of refuge itself was enclosed by the Great Wall, an impressive 965 feet long masonry wall, the remains of which can still be viewed. One can also visit the royal grounds, important residential and ceremonial sites for the Hawaiian royals, the Ali'i. For all three of us, the Junior Ranger program is always one of the highlights. We had the good fortune to speaking to Ranger Julia short, shortly upon arrival, who explained more about the program and the features of the site. I'm Ranger Julia, and these are your Junior Ranger books. Now, your mom kind of asked a few questions about the program, so she got to the bottom of it. This is the book you want. It's called the Hawaii Island National Park Junior Ranger Adventure Book because you go on an adventure to all five national parks on the Big Island. Here's a map. These kids drew this map. So, as the map shows, there's actually five locations you can go to as a family, complete the requirements, and it's not going to be easy. This book is all about learning Hawaiian language, culture, doing some Hawaiian <laughs> sea turtle research. You can also do a game. Have you ever played Hawaiian checkers, also known as Konane? You can play it here in the park. You sit across from each other. It looks like she's winning because look at how nervous he looks. So the winner makes the last move. And then you write about what the game was like to you. Over here, you have to do a special activity. And today we have coconut leaf weaving with those ladies over there. So if you politely ask them to show you coconut leaf weaving, you write about what you learned. That's two requirements. Here's the next two. Family tree. A note about an ancestor and safe places, like the refuge was a safe place. You'll learn all about the refuge in the park today. Then you, t then you come, bring it back to me, and you get a badge and a special prize. There's a certificate page in the back that you fill out, and you get official stamps. So bring your journal if you have one to show the date you completed the program, the official stamp collection page. So you got to put your names on here. There you go. One for you, one for you. Mom gets a Kapuna Ranger book. Kapunas are the wise elders. So this is for ages 13 and above. And you have to do every page. Oh, wow. And so you learn about the park's history, the clothing articles. Which one is a helmet? That thing? Yes. Which one is a head lay? 
Yeah, two. They're both O. So royalty wears a headlay of feathers. The commoners wear a headlay of leaf. So um, this one is clothing articles. There's also a crossword puzzle. You have to use the Okina that's part of the Hawaiian alphabet. See it? Okina, A-W-A spells Ava, the ceremonial numbing drink. Could you tell us a little bit more about the part? Um, well, you're going to check it all out on your brochure. It takes you through the royal grounds, which is the political lands of the former chiefs, where they would visit from the districts, and you'd find ali'i guarded by warriors, no commoners allowed on the royal grounds. That would be kapu. And beyond the royal grounds, you'll see the Great Wall, built in the 1500s. Past the wall is the refuge. So if you broke an ancient kapu, and you offended the gods, you broke a law and the punishment's death, you have to get there to save yourself through the actions and rituals of the priest. So the kahuna is saving your life if you make it to the refuge. But you cannot pass through royal grounds to get there. So it was almost like a jail or like a rehabilitation center? It's a place for purification. So it's a sacred temple site where you're meeting the priest. He's working with you. So you stay, you heal, you're purified eventually over time and you're released back to your village where you would live out your days never to break a law or offend the gods and goddesses again. Or what do you what do you want people to come away from visiting any one of these parks? Like what is like a lesson learned? Um, like one of the biggest lessons learned from people coming here? Probably two things. One, conservation. If the world today considered their lands and resources like Hawaiians did as a canoe or like an island where you could self-destruct if you overuse and pollute, then we would not be overusing, polluting the earth. So if only the world could catch on that our resources are limited and have to be protected, then they could thrive like the thousand years Hawaiians did before Western contact, where every item in the world Hawaii was nurtured. The fishing and spawning, the forest and growth, and the farms and food supply, all protected and preserved so they flourished. Today, the world is um, not using those principles, therefore we're coming into a lot of big problems. Right. The other thing is that Hawaiian culture is a beautiful ancient culture, but it's also still alive. So there's ways you can visit and see it um, played out in its modern form like your children are going to play konane people still play konane an ancient game hula religious chants are still recited for hula mm-hmm. you might see that cool thank you so much yeah we were lucky to be there on a cultural demonstration day and are grateful to the volunteers who gave their time to share hawaiian culture with the visitor and also took the time to speak to us We're here to really provide education of how the ancient Hawaiians used their local materials uh, to make practical things for their everyday living, yeah? So this here is uh, a demonstration of how the Hawaiians would use, they would harvest the coconut palm leaf, uh, shave it down, shape it, and with one small portion of a leaf, they could make different size coconut baskets for different purposes, and, uh, mostly for storage, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but uh, they're extremely durable plant and very flexible. Um, even when they're a little bit dry, 
there's a way to resist, you know, bring them back to life a little bit. Like, like this one here that's dry. That one's dry. What happens is it starts out green, as you see us mm -hmm. working with the green leaf. Though so these are about, well, it, it, it's just to say that we harvest these uh, three days ago. And then we cut them up this morning and we shaved them and we shaped them. Now you can also shave them, shape them, and put it in the refrigerator oh, wow. for, for a week or so. Uh, and even if you want to freeze them, you can freeze them. And you can freeze them and defrost them and still work with them. How interesting. Yeah, when you freeze them and defrost them, they turn this beautiful brown color, like mm -hmm. a, a deep mahogany color. They use it for fishing. They use it for hauling their food from the garden and stuff like that. I learned it from the park. I've been weaving for the park for almost 30, 30 years. Oh my goodness. Every learned, year. And that's interesting, you learn from the park, wow. Yeah, and, and every year the park has a cultural festival in July, in June. Okay. The last uh, weekend in June, mm -hmm. where the crafters would come, people like me, and we would teach you how to make a basket. Oh, wow. And you get to take your basket home. And the park provides all the material that you I enjoy uh, the interaction that I get with the visitors. I enjoy sitting here and just weaving. I, lo I love it. But if you were found here and you made it here, you, the, the people, the priests of this area had to keep you safe. That's why it's called the place of refuge. In the ancient, you'll see now, when you go into the walls, you'll see this place here. There are walls, blow your mind, you haven't seen this. The walls are like 10 feet thick and 10 feet high. They were made by hand with no cars, no trucks. They didn't even have animals to carry them. They carried them by hand and made these walls, stone by stone by stone. Yeah, it, you, it's pretty amazing. And this is a very important place for the Hawaiians. As we walked around, we met a cultural demonstrator from the site who was going out to pray, but find the time to share his and why knowledge of the history and the site with us. Would create places of refuge. Um, and they were always going to be on his own land because, you know, the chief builds his temples where he lives. That's why we have, they call it the royal grounds and then the pu'uhonua, um, you know. But th this, was, really. <laughs> this was more special. I mean, this has been preserved because this, it was in better shape or because it was more important? particular one was preserved, yeah, it was preserved much better than others. Um, one of the reasons kind of goes back to Kahumanu. When she ended the old religion, she actually did... Um, order that a lot of temples were destroyed because she needed to show the people that these old ways were no longer going to be acceptable. So many temples were, in fact, destroyed mm -hmm. under her rule. Um, she couldn't destroy this one, though, because her, her own ancestors were buried inside Kyabe's house there. Um, so that would be, even though you're trying to change the tradition, you still don't want to desecrate your, your own ancestor. Um, so she had ancestors that were actually buried on this site. And for that reason, she did not destroy it. And is that the, that thing that's under construction? Mm -hmm. or? Yeah, okay. yep, yep. So we restored Haleokiave in 19... Oh, I, should, I say we. The Park Service restored Haleokiave in 1968. One of my grand uncles, um, a distant relative, Akoni Grace, was the, the sculptor um, who basically designed and, and carved all the images. He had five men that worked with him um, to build those, to create those images. 
um, his protégés and his, his descendants have actually maintained those images since then. So the tikis have been replaced three times now since 1968. Because of um, erosion or uh, yeah, weathering? Yeah, weathering. Yep, yep, yep. They weather. They have a lifespan, and that's expected. This was always done with our temples, so, you know, maintenance is required. Nothing's... Um, nothing's, yeah. Not, yeah, nothing's with the permanent. sea. <laughs> yeah, and the sea might swallow it, and that's just fine. Um, but anyway, as long as it's here, um, my family is, is kind of some of the... Or many of the caretakers are from my branch of the family, and we have an active role preserving the site. Um, I'm actually training as an apprentice with Okoni Grace's real good friend, the last one living of the original group of carvers. Um, and so I'm working with a team of guys and we're going to be replacing those images in, in probably about th three to five years. We'll right. start working on that. And you had mentioned that there's a, a, about five families that have a special role because they were present mm -hmm. here. Yeah, yeah. In 1955, um, the lands were ceded to the um, Department of the Interior. Um, we lived on these lands as, as kind of like leaseholders, basically. Um, and then the lands themselves were owned by the Bishop Estate, which is Kamehameha Schools, Bishop Museum. They're um, the largest private landowner um, in the islands. Anyway, they um, kind of um, donated the lands basically to the Bar Department of the Interior. At least that's, that's my understanding mm -hmm. of it. And so any of the families that were living in the adjacent lots all had to, um, their lands got condemned and they, they basically got rehomed. It was controversial, of course. You're moving people off of, I mean, and these people were living on ancestral lands. Um, so you're moving people away. So that that's always a touchy thing. Um, but anyway, nonetheless, the families were compensated. Those families still exist all around. They were either purchased land or given the means to purchase land. That's kind of how that happened. The last families um, vacated in 1960, I believe. Um, and then 61 is when the park opened. Um but yeah, I mentioned earlier that uh, myself, I'm a descendant from those families, um, and I work in multiple capacities with um, in this place and with the Park Service, and we have, yeah, a lot of our crew come from some of those families, so there still is a strong yeah, family connection. We access the site for rituals. Um, I sit on a committee that um, handles all the, any instances dealing with the burials and, and NAGPRA law regarding the protection of the burials in the park, so I'm a consultant um, in that in that capacity. Um, yeah, there's oh man, there's a whole lot we do. Wow. <laughs> this place is our life. <laughs> so you work for the the Parks of the Pacific. Um, yep, I work for the nonprofit right now um, as a um, as an interpreter. So I maintain. There's two canoe houses. I'll actually be walking back there shortly. Um, but yeah, there's two canoe houses where we make implements. That's where we do all the carving. And yeah, being a ritualistic people. Prayer was really important. So there's three times of the day for prayer. Um, that's dusk and dawn when the sky is red. So red is a color associated with prayer. Um, and then there's the middle of the day, which we call kaukalai kalolo, which is when the sun is directly overhead and all the shadows, your own shadow, all the shadows kind of disappear because they're going back, you know, inside whatever the object that's casting the shadow is. So when there's no shadows, that's another very important time for prayer, um, which is what I was doing now, actually. I was walking out, doing my daily prayers, sounding the conch to the sound sends them off. Um, these are all little esoteric tricks for manifestation that we do. Um, but the shadow, because the shadow is an extension of the body, and it's kind of the negative reflection when the light shines on you, it casts a shadow. Um, so the shadow represents darkness is the source. Um, 
so we had the concept of life coming out of darkness, light out of darkness. You can't see a light unless it's dark. That kind of a thing, that duality. So the shadow and the light are two dual things, esoterically speaking. And when the shadow and the body are combined, such as what happens when the sun's directly overhead, all the shadows disappear. Um, that means that right now you are kind of directly connected to, to the spiritual source. So it's just a really potent time to to do prayers and to say prayers and, and to do that thing. So a lot of, anyway, people that, that are ritualistic in that sense will take every opportunity to, to do a ritual. <laughs> so what percentage of Hawaiians of Hawaiian heritage are ritualistic? Um. Oh, gosh. You know, we've, yeah, we are an incredibly ritualistic people so um, in the 1800s huge numbers of hawaiians converted to christianity mm -hmm. many still are christian and, and they may have lost a lot of the ritual practices of our traditions in lieu of you know christian ones um so whatever their current denomination or faith is or what have you but um but yeah just as and just from my own experience um i can't say i've ever met a hawaiian who was not spiritual in any way, <laughs> right. whether, um, uh, whether it be, um, you know, oh, he's a Christian or a Buddhist or he likes to go on the heiau and pray to the right. 40,000 gods. It's yeah. <laughs> Kiave is one of our famous chiefs. And the reason he's buried in this particular temple um, was a direct result of his his diplomatic actions. Um, so the quote unquote royal grounds section of the park, um, we lost all the infrastructure. So everything there is new. But there was in existence a Halekawila, which is a chief's meeting house. It's their longhouse. So we have what's called, our diplomatic process is called Kalaiaina, which means to carve the land. Um, so this was actually the location where chiefs would gather upon the death of the former ruler to determine line of succession and how the land and the resources are basically going to be divided um, for the duration of the next ruling chief. So this was kind of, yeah, the site on this island anyway, one of the sites on this island that that took place. So that's, hence we have royal grounds, we have place of refuge, we have the house of Keawe. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 